0: Luke 11, part three, and uh, hopefully we'll get into uh, chapter 12 as well. You, you know that the uh, chapter numbering system, that, that's not inspired, folks. You know this, right? So sometimes you think, well, why did they break it here? And today is one of those days. Uh, but before we begin, just reminding ourselves from the Proverbs, it says this, Chapter 4, verse 20. My son or daughter, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. And then don't let them depart from your eyes. And then your words. Keep them in the midst of your heart. How easily things come in and out of our hearts. Is, am I the only one? For they are, look, 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 the words of God. Listen to this. For they are life to those who find them. Life. You want life? And health to all their flesh. You want health? Yeah, I do. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Now, that's a good reminder for any Bible study. But in particular, do you remember what we discussed at the end of last week? We were discussing that the lamp of the body, no one, when he has hit a little lamp, puts it into a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand, that those who come in may see the light. You know, if somebody curses, for instance, slips and curses, you don't go and brush your teeth. Are are you tracking with me? You don't brush the lips and clean those up because your lips and teeth and tongue had very little to do with that curse word that came out (laughs) or that attitude that came out or that anger issue that came out. It has nothing to do with that. It's what's inside that's important. God, in Psalm 51, tells us, is concerned with the inward parts. He He looks around, not for the outward, how we're adorned. He looks around for the inward. He searches the hearts of people and search for men and women, young men, young women, who are inclined towards him. And one of the ways in which God makes us healthy and whole, a child of God, is he make sure that the word of god gets in them and you you cooperate in that respect you read you study you you listen you 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 take in and in proverbs it says don't let anything depart from your eyes or heart just keep reading them you know you know listen whether you do a 1 year bible or 2 year bible or whatever you do in the mornings and nights just you know what we should do just read big chunks of the bible just keep reading it and then when you're done read it over again because the Lord will keep revealing stuff. It's the healthiest place to be, and he does it by the Spirit. So last week, remember, Jesus is talking to the people who are following him, and we're in that place now, as Dr. Luke is bringing us uh, through the life of Christ. And people increasingly we're becoming enamored, listen, listen to this, with the signs that he did instead of the words that he taught. Are you catching that? And finally, he says, Listen, folks, I'm going to give you one sign you can always bet on. And this is the sign Jonah was three, just as he was three days in the belly of a fish and then was spewed out. So was the Son of Man. He's going to die three days, conquer death, and rise again. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he was saying. That's the sign. And so, look, the the, the disciples and Jesus now are in this environment where people are rabid for the signs more than they are for the Word in many cases. And, listen to this, the religious authorities are starting to get really upset with Jesus and his followers because what they're preaching is upsetting their religious apple cart. It's making it very difficult for them and what they believe and how they uh, think church should go and and, and, and really how they think we should get to God, which is by being good people, adhering to the law. And so they're ministering now in this environment. And here we go in verse 37... Of Luke 11, excuse me, here's what it says, the word of the Lord, and as he spoke, that's Jesus, a certain Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and sat down to eat, and when the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. Then the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees make the outside of the cup and dish clean, But your inward part is full of greed and wickedness, foolish ones. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also, but rather give alms of such things as you have? Then indeed all things are clean to you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe the mint and rue and all manner of herbs, and you pass by justice and the love of God. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like graves which are not seen and the men who walk over them are not aware of them. Then one of the lawyers answered and said to him, teacher, by saying these things, you reproach us also. And he said, "'Woe to you also, lawyers, for you load men with burdens, hard to bear. "'And you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. "'Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets, and your fathers killed them. "'In fact, you bear witness that you approve the deeds of your fathers, "'for they they indeed killed them, and you build their tombs. "'Therefore the wisdom of God also said, "'I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill and persecute.'" that the blood of all the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation. Verse 51, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the temple, yes, I say to you, it shall be required of this generation. And as he said these things to them, the scribes and Pharisees began to assail him vehemently and to cross-examine him about many things lying in wait for him and seeking to catch him in something he might say that they might accuse him. Well, let's pray here as we seek the Lord in these things. Lord, help us to understand what's going on here, Lord. Uh, Not that we read into the text, but we take what the text says and bring it to light by your power and strength, wisdom, and guidance. Knit these things to our hearts. Lord, help us not to be hypocritical or hypocrites but be authentic in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as I said, they're ministering. They're ministering in an environment that's getting sort of dangerous. They're ministering in an environment in which the people, the throngs, not all, but some want to make sure they see signs more than they want to understand the word. And Jesus puts that to rest, but the environment is still there. And then you have this increasing danger with the religious authorities. And here, one of the Pharisees asks him to come dine with him. And, you know, if this was a a true wanting to discuss the truths of Scripture, you wouldn't have him come and be around a lot of people. You would do it privately. But it appears that this invitation to dine With this, Pharisee comes with other people involved. Well, and you can read the companion uh, uh, account in Matthew 23. But he does invite him, and what's interesting about it, Jesus knows these things, and he says, Sure, I'll come. And not only will he come and visit with the Pharisee, but he'll sit down to eat. Now let's talk about what a Pharisee is back in the time of Jesus, there's two competing groups that you see, these two competing religious groups. Pharisees are ones who are really ultra-orthodox. They believe in the first five books of the Bible, literally. Uh, They believe in uh, supernatural, like angels. They believe in the resurrection uh, from the dead. They believe those sort of things. And a Pharisee is like a religious sect, The counterpart to that is the Sadducees, and the Sadducees, thanks, (laughs) two weeks in a row here, Uh, thank you. The Sadducees, who aren't in this account, but they're a competing group, they're a group that believes in the Word of God, but uh, don't believe in uh, 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 the afterlife. They don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. They're, They're way more liberal than their counterpart Pharisees, and you see that interplay in the gospel's and a couple other places, okay? But this is a Pharisee, an ultra-conservative person who, increasingly, he's been at odds with, Jesus has. He's been telling them things that they don't want to hear, and now one of them invites him over to eat. Well, that's interesting, and the Pharisee sought and marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. Now, don't think this is high, uh, an issue of hygiene. This has nothing to do with hygiene. How do I know that? Well, because I, like you, just read the Bible and read the companion account. And the companion account is over in Mark 7. Just turn there. So you'll know that this has nothing to do with hygiene. <clears throat> in Mark chapter 7, right at the beginning, the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem, verse 1. Now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they washed their hands. Listen, not wash their hands, but wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. You see, there was a special way in which they washed. And the way that they washed was that they held their hands up like this and they took a certain amount of water. Some have said it's be, uh, an egg, half eggshell full of water only. And you poured it over the tops of your fingers and then you let it drip down all the way and you didn't touch, sort of like a surgical procedure. We talked about that later. And then, of course, when it air dried and then you were ready to go and you were ready to eat, but not because of the hygiene but to make you ceremonially, ceremonially, I can never say that word, clean, what's that mean? That means you had right standing to God to wor- right standing with God to come in and worship. right? But what's funny about that is, see, there's no real law in the law. Of course, there's ceremonial cleansing in order to come and to worship in the law, the first five books of the Bible. But you know what started to develop around the law, and that's what you need to know to understand this chapter. There became these people, Pharisees and scribes or lawyers, who said, "Oh, wait a minute. We're not. To, we're to rest on the Sabbath. That's the commandment, law." They said, "Well, let's interpret and distinguish and start." naming or setting forth what it means not to work on the Sabbath, to rest on the Sabbath. And so they developed these oral traditions handed down from rabbi to rabbi, from people to people about what it was to work on the Sabbath. Like this, for instance. I don't remember the number of steps, but if you went 2,000 steps on the Sabbath, you weren't working. But if you went 2001, you worked and you violated the Sabbath. But listen they would tie ropes from their front door way down the street and say, well, that rope's part of my home, and I need to go to the Rite Aid or whatever, whatever they needed. So I'm going to count the rope as part of my house, make it real long, and then within the Rite Aid of 2,000 steps, now I go to the Rite Aid, get what I need, and I didn't work. And you've got—now, they didn't have Rite Aids, by the way, but you get what I'm saying— And they had massive amounts of oral tradition that they kept that was supposed to interpret the law. And folks, why am I telling you all this? Because this ceremonial cleansing is one of those. Jesus didn't come to break the law. He came to fulfill the law. But when it came to these silly, religious, rote, external, I'll say it again, religious procedures, Jesus wanted to annihilate them. And he tells us why here. Now you think about it. What are some of the things that bother us in the modern church like this? Well, I mean... You know, you better do all hymns. And you better not have any instruments. And you really should pass the plate. We don't pass the plate here. And if I pass the plate or if I get more money there than you do, I can feel better about myself. Or if I come to more Bible studies than you do, I can feel better about myself. Or, you know, we really should have pews, not chairs. I've heard that one here. Or how about this one? Don't wear a hat in church. What do you mean don't wear a hat in church? You are the church. Does it really matter if you're wearing a hat or not? I'm going to get feedback on that one. I I know, for some who are older and are used to taking off your hat in a place to be respectful, that's fantastic. If that's what the Lord is leading you to do, do it. But don't put the trip on somebody else. The Lord's glad you're here, wearing a hat or not. You want to dress up? You should dress up. But see, what happens is around this church back then, or the synagogues, and the church at large now, is we develop a whole bunch of traditions, and if we don't follow them or do them, we start to feel bad about ourselves. Why? Because we like to measure up. Now think about this. He comes, and the Pharisee saw it, and he marveled. What he means is he's mad. He's like, I can't believe you didn't wash in the ceremonial way. You didn't follow the tradition. So Jesus said to him, how about this one? Now, you Pharisees make the outside of the cup and dish clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. Now, the first thing I want you to see here is something that's not that obvious, Jesus took the act of washing your hands and turned it into a spiritual conversation. Come on, man. Listen, I like to use the back of the Calvary Chapel magazine, which has the outline of the gospel. But don't tie yourself to a certain way to share the Lord with people. In fact, the Bible says, 1 Peter 3.15, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you, a reason for the hope that is in you. Always be ready with meekness and fear. You don't have your Roman's road. You don't have your tract. Uh, somebody seems to not want to talk about the Lord. Always be ready. Someone came to Jesus and got mad at him about hand washing, and he took the opportunity to tell them who exactly they were. I'm convinced, I'm convinced right here, he's just telling the truth. There's no animosity. I think he's just telling the truth about who they are. And that's what the Bible does for you and I. It tells us who we are. And then Jesus gives us the quote-unquote remedy, which is him. The Bible also says to be diligent, to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, listen to this, rightly dividing the word of truth rightly I've told you this story before man and I'll tell it to you again and the only thing I can say is it's just what I know so I'm not patting myself on the back but there was this fellow who asked me to come visit with him and he was in the last stages of cancer and he wanted to talk to me about the gospel he said that so I brush up on all the evangelistic scriptures you know Romans Road I'm ready I'm loaded for bear got the notes, everything in my head, you know, to evangelize, evangelize, okay, and I walk in, and we're just talking, and he goes, okay, let's get down to business, kind of, he said that kind of thing, why did God pick Israel? (laughs) You're like, man, that's a, like, like, you know, slider, you know, you're waiting for the fastball just to knock it out of the park, you got them all, and he asked me that one. And I tell you this uh, because I'm bragging on the Lord. We were able to take that question and move it back, answer the question, and move it back to the grace of God. And, and, and one of the things, <laughs> I told you this story before. You asked me, you think I've been good enough? Now, you've got to remember who I'm talking to here. You think that's not a curveball? And guess what I said to him? I can't believe I said it. I said, no, I don't think you have. And he's like, what? <laughs> and then I explained to him, but I'm not good enough. And then we talked about the grace of God. And I want to tell you something. When I left there, his countenance was so heavy and burdened. When I left there, it was light. And his funeral, which was in Sacramento, California, by the way, actually Modesto, was one of the most beautiful, freeing, liberating services I've ever done. And the Lord did it. And I'm not bragging on me, but I'm just saying, listen to this, folks. You can take hand washing and turn it around for a gospel talk. You can turn a question about a country. Why is Israel so contentious? Great. You got them, man. And the Bible tells us to always be ready for that and to be prepared and to be diligent because you're going to get opportunities. You know, somebody might come to your house and say, I need a bowl of sugar. Oh, great. Yeah. Well, here you go. And and you can turn that discussion into sharing the Lord. Anything, anything you can do. Somebody today uh, told me that they were at work and One of the people at work asked them to take something from the work to use at home. And he said, I can't do that. (laughs) And the workers said, what do you mean you can't do that? And he had them. Right there is the open door. If you're praying for open doors, the Lord gives them a lot. The problem is, we don't step through them all the time. Here, Jesus just said, oh, wash hands? Okay, we're going to talk. And here's what he says. He says this, you Pharisees make that outside of the cup, make the outside of the cup uh, and dish clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. One of the things, folks, one of the things that self-righteous religious people do who look and talk like Christians, one of the things that self-righteous people do is they focus on externals. You mean... The sanctuary is not completely painted. I mean, how can we have church here? Hmm. Oh, you mean there's no carpeting on the stage yet? I mean, seriously, how can we have church? But what Jesus tells us is he's way more, or he's only concerned. What is he concerned with? Jesus is concerned about the inward part. And when we concentrate in on externals, do you understand we're majoring in the minors? Now, listen to what I'm saying here. <clears throat> people who are self-righteous believe we're, when they talk of these things, uh, uh, you know, come on now, we, we have to do the service this way, or you got to pass the plate, or, you know, you whatever. And if you don't do it, they put a trip on you. You know, self-righteous people, it makes you like, you have a pit in your stomach, right? What did for Jesus. Self-righteous people are, only have this external stuff and they're only concerned about the external stuff and they can get very angry and mean if you don't do what they ask you always know it's a red flag when the people in the church who look like you who talk like you come to you and say you know your hair is down over your ears bro i needed you to get that up and you're like what and you say, nah, I like, you know, whatever, or whatever, I'm just making something up, and they go, you know, and get angry. That's that's a real sign. Because see, oh, and when, when we major in the minors, you understand that self-righteous people, they're majoring, excuse me, they major in what they think are major things. Listen to what I'm saying. They're major in things that They think are major things, and they're really just minor little things. And it's really, for you know, this is a great grammar word. It's really icky. It's just icky, you know, self-righteousness. And Jesus railed against it. Now, before I go around pointing my fingers at people, I can be self-righteous. You can be self-righteous. So if you're hearing this message, And if you're saying, yeah, other people are self-righteous and it's going, it's going right over your head. Well, Jesus said this, I'm more concerned about the inward uh, full of, you know, full of greed and wickedness and you're trying to cleanse the sanctuary, but you're, you're not worried about people getting saved. Remember this in the Psalms. Behold, Psalm 51 verse 6, you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. How about verse 10 of that Psalm? You you know this very well. This was after David and Bathsheba incident. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast or right spirit within me. See, Jesus is concerned about the condition of your heart. Are you saved? sealed, and have the Holy Spirit. That's number one. And then he's going to take you down this path of more and more Christ-likeness. And if you want to be Christ-like, and if I want to be Christ-like, the way in which ultra self-righteous people were acting is not the mind of Christ, folks. So here it comes. He says, you want to just Clean the outside, you want to look good. You want to have the best robes. If you go to Matthew 23, you know, when you pray, you want people to see you. When you fast, you want people to see you. When you give, you want people to see you, and you got your best robes on, and you know, you know that walk to the box with the big amount, and you want to put it in there and have everybody see you for the external. And you're not even worried that inside you're greedy and wicked like I'm greedy and wicked. He says, Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But rather, rather give alms. Give alms. This is a really interesting word. You know this, right? Alms means mercy or pity. When it says give alms, it's generally talking about giving to the poor, about giving to people who have less than you do. Or, or in a different condition than you. It's, it's talking about giving to the poor. But this is fascinating. The word alms there is a word that means or, uh, uh, is, is a word that means that which is inside. Something that comes from within, like mercy. And here he says, give alms of such things as you have alms, as such things as you you have there, that one phrase, such things as you have, is a one-word answer that means from within. In other words, yeah, give to the poor financially, that's fine, or give them a code or give them blank, but really what counts is your attitude towards them. And oh, by the way, what you're to do is to give yourself to mercy and grace. Do you catch what I'm saying? Don't, if, if, if God's given you the gift of giving, okay, great. Praise the Lord. It says it's an enumerated gift. You, you've been successful in business and you're using it for the Lord. But listen, he just doesn't want you to stop there. He wants you to give your inward parts to mercy. Not that, okay, I'll write the check and heck with those people. No, he wants you to have mercy along with it. Are you catching it? That's the word there. You're giving alms, uh, but, but what he wants is that your inward parts, such things that you have, your inside, give that away too. You catching it? It's really a fascinating word, and maybe I'm not articulating it well. But here's what he's saying. Did he not who make the outside make the inside, but rather give alms of such things as you have? Be a giver. Give out and do it with the right heart. But the problem is, if you try to manufacture the right heart, you can't have the right heart. Jesus will give us the answer to that in a little bit. Here's the second thing. So so the first thing that's wrong with self-righteous people, Jesus says, is your priorities are wrong. (laughs) Your emphasis of your life is wrong. You like self-righteous people, which includes me sometimes, and maybe you sometimes. If you're saying it's for somebody else, it's going over your head here. That self-righteous part of you, you know what it likes? It likes to major on things that you think are major but are really minor. Jesus is saying, you want to know about chairs and how you dress and whether you wear a robe and the color of your robes. I remember at my church, we had different colors for different seasons, and I would read the Bible when as a little kid going, where's that in here? If you're watching from my church, God bless you. <laughs> so, so he's saying your emphasis is wrong. You're you, You be concerned with the inward parts of you and others, not in a sin-sniffing sort of way, but a concern for people in those areas. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe and mint, or you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass by justice and the love of God. You know this, right? In the book of Leviticus, it says this. Leviticus 23, and all the tithe of the land, whether of seed or of the land of the fruit of the tree, which is crops, is the Lord. It's holy to the Lord. That's what it says. So, so, so look, it's a commandment of God that these self-righteous Pharisees are doing, but apparently, look at this, they were more concerned with nine for me, one for God, nine for me, one for God, and they were so wrapped up in that that they forgot justice and the love of God. Are you catching that? Jesus here is not saying don't tithe you Pharisees or don't tithe you self-righteous people. What he's saying is don't get so wrapped up in the giving of the stuff that you forget about what's really important, which is mercy and justice and love and walking humbly, Micah 6.8, justice, mercy, you know. Are, Are you catching that? In fact, I say this around here, and I wonder if I get in trouble with the pastor association about this. I say... That tithing, which is back there, if you want to tithe, there's the box. You and uh, we, us, should do this scripturally. That is, plan it out. What am I going to tithe after I've prayed about it? If you're single, you know, you've got your... You've got your uh, income and you pray about it. and you, The Lord tells us to give of our first fruits, so give of your best. Don't give the dregs at the bottom. These are all principles of tithing, and we should do it. And you should think about it and pray about it and plan it out and then do it. But here's the most important part. You should be hilarious when you do it. In other words, you should be joyful. You're, you're happy to give to the Lord. You know, there's something weird about money. It does weird things to people. I, I got news for you. God doesn't need our 500 bucks per month. You know what I think the Lord's doing sometimes when we become hilarious givers? Getting us to not make money an idol. We can give it away. And what I would say, here's where I'm going to get fired or kicked out of the pastor's association. If you walk back there and you're doing it with clutching and you're not hilarious and you're not joyful about it, here's what I'd say, don't do it. Five bucks, whoever that was. So here he says, you know, you do all these things that the Bible says you're to do, but you pass by justice and love. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. See, keep doing it, but make sure you're concerned about the real basis or uh, principles of the kingdom. Love, justice, mercy. Woe to you, Pharisees, verse 43, for you love the best seats in the synagogues. And greetings in the marketplace. Here's another thing self righteous people like recognition. You know what they'll say? You ever met somebody who's so incredibly humble, they're being prideful in their humility? It's true, man. Every time you say something, oh, I'm just a dirty, rotten sinner. You know me, I'm just a dirty, rotten sinner. And uh, man, I can't, you you know, and they just go on and on and on and on. you, you, you've met this right you've met folks that do this and you're like wow you're really prideful about how humble you are man here self-righteous people like attention you can do it through denying yourself or saying how bad you are or you can say you know i love it when people recognize that i'm the teacher man i like that some people say or man do people know i'm an elder in the church or man, I'm serving in this way and I, I want you to know it. You know I cleaned here four times this week? I didn't, but you know what I'm saying. People like it. I'm the leader of the prayer group or whatever. People like to be seen. We were really struck when we went to Philadelphia one time as a family. I didn't know this. You po- you folks probably knew this. You, those colonial churches had a, had a pulpit up like in the ceiling, coming out from the wall. And you'd go up there and you'd speak, and that was okay because it was the acoustics, but down below were boxes. So you folks would sit with your family in a box, like box seats, like at a baseball game. And what was amazing is if you were closer to the front, you gave more money for those seats. You understand? You paid for the place to be within the church. And they had, you know, bench seats, but they had a little, like a little fireplace or a little thing to make a fire in there cuz back then they didn't have hvac or whatever and 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 you you paid for that and of course what would come with that people would be like hey do you sit where we you see where we sit at the church self righteousness jesus just continues to knock that out woe to you pharisees for you have the best seats and you like to be greeted in the marketplace woe to you scribes and pharisees and here comes the word hypocrite Now, we're going to spend a little time here, hypocrite. It used to mean, but it evolved. The word evolved. It used to mean an answer. You'd get together and there would be, uh, you would play, as some people call it, the devil's advocate, or you debate one side versus the other. Sometimes, you know this, you don't even believe the position you take, you just debate, right? You ever done that? Well, you do that in law school a lot. You do that with clients a lot, but don't say that. Uh, but, but you understand? And it used to mean just answer back and forth, but it came to mean acting, play acting. Wait a minute. Everybody wake up here. It means putting on a mask. It means not being authentic. Here Jesus says you're a hypocrite. Self-righteous people are hypocrites. Self-righteous people are hypocrites because they're hiding something. There can be a lot of things that self righteous people and self righteous ideas within your own heart, which can come into my heart sometimes, you're hiding. See, what we want to do a lot as people is we want to keep people out here so they don't see the real us. I even hear some people sometimes say, I'd never say that around the pastor. What? I just got to say, if you're saying that, that's hypocritical. I'm nobody special. Other than the the Lord saved me and saved you. I'm just like you. Don't, Don't be a hypocrite. Hypocrites are hiding things. And oftentimes what they're hiding is fear. And Jesus is going to tell us where that fear comes from. But they're also hiding insecurities. They're also hiding, listen to this, insincerity. Man, that one gets me because I'm the king of sarcasm. Insincerity, insecurities, fear. So if I come to church and come to all the committees and give the most money and go to the most Bible studies, you're going to think I'm pious and holy when inside I'm dead and rotting. And it was a problem then and it's a problem now. how can you tell whether you are self-righteous? I think this is one way. Do you make a ton of declarative statements that have the word I in them? I'll never, I would never do that. (laughs) Okay. Peter did that, remember? Got him in a little bit of hot water, but the Lord still restored him, you know? How about John and his brother, Sons of Thunder? Hey, Mom, you go talk to Jesus and see if you can get a really prime cabinet spot in Jesus' kingdom. It was this self-promotion, wanted to be better than the others. What's amazing is that life was transformed. John was into the apostle of love. He knew he was loved, and it—he transformed. the Lord transformed him from an angry, self-seeking guy to the apostle of love. You, declarative statements, I'd never. And then here's some other ways in which you th- might be self-righteous. Oh, Jeff Foxworthy could do this. Here's a, here's a way you know you're self-righteous, right? Declarative statements, I'll never. I'd never do that but here's another one. I can't believe her. You're pointing at the other person. You believe what she did? The answer is, yeah, we believe. We know our own hearts. That could easily happen to me. we could go on and on, but self-righteousness, that that thing that resides in some people where they just want to point out everybody else, uh, what, what they're hiding behind is a lot of different things. Maybe they don't feel secure in the Lord, or maybe they don't feel relevant, and so they tell everybody else how awful they are so that they feel better, get it? self-righteousness, man. They're hypocrites. They're hiding behind something. There's insincerity. There's this insecurity. There's this fear. Listen to this. Then one of the lawyers, that's a scribe. They're an expert in the law. One of the lawyers said, hey, man, Jesus, teacher, you know, you were nailing us there too, right? You were reproaching us also. And he said, woe to you also, lawyers, for you load men with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. See, self-righteous people are great at pointing out the fault of others, but never helping. Oh, man. You don't have the greatest youth group here. Why don't you come and help? Oh, man. Why don't you have, you know this or that, why don't you come and help? <laughs> or, or whatever. Here, he says, you b- load people up with burdens. Can you imagine the burden of having to know how long to tie the rope? Wait a minute, I can't leave for 2,000 feet, but if you ever read a lawyer's document, all the boilerplate, it's like, man, that is a burden. And that's the way it was for the law. They made it a burden. They put burdens on people. What did Jesus tell us? When you follow Jesus, it's not burdensome. It may be difficult, but it's not burdensome. You you have difficult things to face, temptations, persecution, of course, but it's not a burden. It's a joy to serve the Lord. He says, "If you'll yoke up with me, I'll make your load light, and I'll give you rest, rest in here." So it might be difficult sometimes the Christian life to go against the grain, of course, but it's not a burden. Back then, so, back then and now, self-righteous people make whatever we're doing a burden in the wrong way. You know what I would hope that we would pray? <clears throat> Lord, help me not to be a burden today on other people. I might have to tell somebody something really truthful and hard and difficult. I can do it gracefully. But Lord, when we come out the, the, the other side of this thing, may it be a refreshment, may it be a good correction and healthy, and we all understand that, and that I wasn't a burden to somebody. Wouldn't that be amazing if we all prayed that prayer and, and did it? Here, they were being burdens. They were laying trips on people, and another thing they were doing is they were part of the problem but they didn't think they were part of the problem. Catch this. For woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets, and your fathers killed them. In fact, you bear witness that you approve the deeds of your fathers. In other words, you didn't kill the prophets, but people just like you killed the prophets. And you're still part of the problem, and you think it's amazing because that spirit that you're living in killed those prophets, but now you build tombs, and you go, hey, people, check out our prophets. That's what it's saying. You build the tombs of the prophets, and your fathers killed them. In fact, you bear witness that you approve those deeds, for indeed they did kill them. And you build the monuments, the tombs. And you stand up there and go, weren't our prophets great? And the people who acted like you are the ones who killed the prophets. Because what did the prophets do? They came with a message of judgment and repentance. And when you talk to a self-righteous person, listen to this about judgment and repentance they're going to fire back at you there's no teachability there's no humility you so so listen right there's where you see self righteousness in my life left to myself folks i don't want you to tell me i'm wrong well here they killed them and they built them tomb they act like they're in favor and yet the same thing that the prior ones were doing, or the same thing you're doing. You you bear witness that you approve. Therefore, verse 49, the wisdom of God also said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them kill, they kill and persecute, that the blood of all the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation. From the blood of Abel, isn't this funny? Abel to Zechariah, A to Z. You say, well, wait a minute. Zechariah is in 2 Chronicles 24 in the, in, in the story of him getting killed. A to Z, yeah, because the Hebrew Bible was, the last book of the Hebrew Bible was 2 Chronicles, you see. So Jesus knows, man. And he's saying from A to Z, from all of these prophets, from Abel to the blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar and temple, yes, I say to you, it will, shall be required of this generation those Attitudes will be judged. Are you catching it? Self-righteousness is judged. So woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter in yourselves. You didn't enter in yourselves. And those who were entering in, you hindered. You know there's some faith traditions that discourage reading the Bible as the congregants? Like, The person who stands back here knows more than you can know. In fact, in some of the olden times, they used to chain the Bible to the pulpit so no one could read it. And Jesus said, yeah, in our time, that's the same way. What happens? Look at this. A pharisaical, religious, self-righteous person always likes to pretend that they know more than you do. And if you get close to them in knowledge or something, or if you make a point in the Bible study, who are you to overturn or say different than me? You ever been around somebody like that? It's ugly, man. What does the Bible say about teachers? Oh, teachers are good. They're supposed to expand on what's in the Bible. That's good. But you know what you're supposed to do? Check the Bible and be a Berean. And no one is here to manipulate anyone. And if they do, if somebody manipulates you in the Bible, that's a big red flag. That's self-righteousness. And what were they doing that was so bad? Why would Jesus be so mad about lawyers who have taken away the of key of knowledge? By the way, in Luke 24, I think what the key of knowledge is, is finding Jesus in the Scriptures. You can look at that in 44 through 48. It's also the kingdom of God, being in the kingdom of God, that key. What's the key? And what's happening here, just like when people prohibit kids from coming to know the Lord, is the Lord here is saying, you self-righteous people like to act like you have all the knowledge and press down people who you don't think uh, uh, measure up to you. You try to keep them from Jesus, and that really makes people angry. When we misrepresent Jesus to the people, are we perfect in that? No, we're not perfect. We're humans saved by grace. But, but, but the trajectory of our life is to be self-righteous and to keep people down. Jesus hates it. He hates it. And as he said these things, the scribes, the Pharisees began to assail him vehemently. <laughs> See, hypocrites don't want to have that thing behind the outer part. They don't want it to be exposed. Because then they don't measure up. Their insecurities come out. Their their reason for acting the way they are, the thing that's deep-seated. They don't ever want to take off so you can't see it. But if you do expose them like Jesus exposed them, instead of being humble and running to him, they lash out. That is total self-righteousness. And he said these things. They became, assail him and then cross-examine him. You ever been cross-examined? It's no fun about many things, lying in wait for him and seeking to catch him in something he might say that they might accuse him. Now see, the chapter shouldn't break here because watch. In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another, signs, wonders, signs, wonders, stir up. Man, let's... Jesus said to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Now in the Bible, in the Old Testament, leaven was a sign of evil, And in the New Testament, a sign of sin. Leaven, which you put in bread, right, puffs up, makes the bread grow, yeast, right? And Jesus here says hypocrisy, all that we've been talking about, not being authentic, is a sin. Majoring on the minors, not being teachable, thinking uh, less of other people than who you are. These are sinful, uh, self-righteous things. Jesus says it's evil. For there is nothing covered. He says, remember this, disciples. This leaven, why would he tell the disciples this? Because see, the temptation was here. Catch it. The The disciples are going to preach... these people and minister to these people. And they're going to be tempted by two things, maybe more than two. One is to come to their want and desire for signs. And the other is to tell the self-righteous religious people what they want to hear instead of the truth. Oh, by the way, it's the same thing today. It's the exact same thing today. And somebody that's standing up here Whatever church you go to, you can have a mask on. I'm reminded in Ezra, we just talked about this the other day. When Ezra was in the exile, getting ready to come back to preach to the remnant who would returned to Jerusalem, it said that Ezra prepared his heart How did he prepare his heart? With the Word of God. But then this little, little phrase in there. And then he prepared his heart to do what the Scripture said. You know, a lot of people, including people who stand up here, like to preach to people and tell them what to do. And they've never lived it. And so it becomes, man, I don't want them to see that I'm inauthentic. So what I'll do is I'll rail on them more and more. I'll rail on them more and more. So that way they'll know that they're here and I'm here because I'm the one that's standing up here. You You ever been around a sermon like that? Oh, man. Sometimes the information is so amazing and right on the bullet points and the stuff. And you're like, whoa, this is awesome information. And there's no anointing in it. That's self-righteousness. It's hypocrisy. But he says, listen, to his disciples who have this pull to go preach to what the Pharisees want to say or what the people want to say, he says, remember this, all your phoniness and fakeness and your self-righteousness is going to come to light. So don't be phony and fake. For there's nothing covered that won't be revealed Therefore, whatever you're known, therefore, whatever you've spoken in the dark, you catch this, whatever you've spoken in the dark, folks, will be in the light, heard in the light. And what you've spoken in the ear in the inner rooms, something that you tried to just keep hidden, Jesus will know. And not only that, it'll be proclaimed on the housetops. You go, whoa. You know what I say when I read that? Lord, help me to be authentic. Real with people. Don't let me exaggerate the stories in my sermons. Don't let me rail on people just because I stand back here. Don't have me point out everything all the time just because it makes me feel good. Don't let me gossip about people because it'll make me puff me up because I'm self righteous. And now Jesus gives you the remedy. You say, wow, this had not been a very interesting, or not interesting, but a very, you know, a building up sermon. Well, here it comes. Listen, here it comes. This is beautiful. And I say to you, shouldn't be a break here, my friends. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body. What does Jesus say hypocritical thoughts and actions and fears come from? Fear of men. One of the things that hypocritical actions And attitudes come from, it's fear of men. Jesus said, my friends, don't be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that, you have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Not a thing. Not a program. Not a bullet point outline. It's a person. It's the person of God. You and I fear God. Beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. It's where we begin our life. It's the fear of the Lord. And so there's two kinds of fear. If you study the words in the Psalms and the Old Testament and the New Testament, two kinds of fear. Bad fear. And you know what? Can a Christian really say, "I have no fear"? I hope you don't say that. You should just say, "I have no bad fear." The bad fear is what will men think of me? And that's rampant. Everything we've been talking about is motivated by that. I have some insecurities. I have some things I don't want to tell people. So I'll act like I'm pious. The reason I'll act like I'm pious and wonderful and better than you is because I don't want you to see what's back behind the curtain. But then there's a good fear. He's our wonderful counselor, Isaiah 9. hes He's not just a counselor. He's wonderful. the Bible says that, again, the beginning of fear, you know, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. you got that. We start our life uh, with the Lord in fear. Fear is this. It's just that good, awesome respect that we have for a good dad. You say, well, maybe I didn't have a good dad. Okay, then go to the scriptures and see what a good dad is like. He's it. So my friends, don't be afraid of those who kill the body. People, and after that, have no more that they can do. But I'll show you whom you should fear. Fear him, who after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. See, there's a good fear, a respect, an awe, a falling in love, a being marvel, uh being in awe of marveling at, saying, yes, I'm full of wonder of everything you've done for me, God. And he says, okay, so when I read that, you know what I say? I say stuff like this. Well, how, how, how do I know that he loves me? How do I know? Well, Paul knew in the most famous maybe verse that Paul ever wrote, or one of them, Galatians 2.20, we always quote the beginning of it. At the beginning of Galatians 2.20 is, it's no longer I who live. Remember this? But it's Christ in me. Remember that part? and We always stop right there. But guess what the rest of Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. We stop right there. The life which I now live in the flesh, listen to this. I live by faith in the Son of God. Most people stop right there. That's it. But there's more. Who loved me and gave himself for me. The whole course... Of Paul's life, he was a Pharisee. He was an orthodox person. He lived up to the law as best as anybody could, but the whole course of Paul's life was to get rid of self-righteousness and enter into a relationship with the Lord, and he did it through the cross. And that man became, instead of self-righteous, he became tender-hearted, loving, and graceful, and truthful. Could he tell people hard things? Yeah, he had to tell his buddy Peter one time some hard stuff. But he bared long with people, and it's all because he, listen, listen, it's all because he knew that the Lord loved him. You know what self-righteous people want to do? Tell us how much they love the Lord. And we do love the Lord. That's true. But the Lord loves me. The Lord loves you, and the Lord loves Paul. And all of us. And it changed him. So the first thing you do is, how do I know the Lord loves me? The cross. But then Jesus gives you more than that. And he says, you know, I care about, you know, if you went up the BW3, what's it called? Buffalo wild wings, and you just munched on some wild wings. You don't think anything about those wings. Sparrows were like that. They were just good little snacks. Nobody even thought about them. They just cooked them and popped them in. He says, listen, are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins, and not one of them is forgotten before God? I remember the sparrows, the things that you think are insignificant. Catch this. The things That righteous people, self-righteous people think are insignificant, I care about. The very numbers of your or the very hairs of your head are all numbered, and that's easier for some than others. For the that's a joke. Some of us didn't take very long to count. Some of us, like me, have a bush on my head. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. He cares for you. See, here's where you see the care. He cares for you. Don't fear, therefore. You're of more value than many sparrows. He's saying, forget the bad fear, the fear of men. What could they do to you? You understand that the worst thing that man can do to you is the best thing for the Christian? The worst thing that men could do for you is kill you. It's the best thing for the Christian. You get to go be with the Lord. What can they do to you? And, and, and I understand. I don't want to you know, fall out of a plane. That wouldn't be very fun. But after I fell, man, it would be glorious. Not one of them is forgotten. Also, listen, I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him, the son of man also will confess before the angels of God. But he denies me before the men will be denied before the angels of God. Don't get too hung on that. Remember, Peter denied the Lord. So it can't be, oh my gosh, back in 1973, my friend asked me about the Lord and I started talking to him about the Rolling Stones. Where am I going? It can't be that. Peter denied him. What he's saying here is the trajectory of your life. Have you made a confession to follow the Lord? And now are you out in the culture living for the Lord? It's not that you're perfect. Sometimes you don't walk through the door, but he doesn't zap you because you didn't walk through the door. You just repent and keep going. And anyone who speaks a word against the son of man, it will be forgiven him. But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. Real quick, watch this. John the Baptist was sent by the father The Jews rejected him. Jesus was the son. For the most part, the Jews rejected him. The Holy Spirit was sent to come. And the book of Acts in the first few chapters is the story about how the Holy Spirit goes to the Jews. And they rejected him. You understand here? And what he's saying is, in the Bible... I went to the Jews first, and now I'm going to go to the Gentiles. Gospels for the Jew first, then the Gentiles. But remember, you've studied with us, Romans. He didn't forget Israel. He's going to wind up that plan at a future date. Okay, now why did I tell you that? Because here's what you can't do. You can't reject Jesus Christ and live for eternity. Why? Because what happens when Jesus Christ, you surrender your life to Jesus Christ? Who comes to live in your life immediately? The Holy Spirit. And so that's what this is talking about. And when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, don't worry about how or what you should answer. In other words, don't even fear the quote-unquote important people. There's no cliques with God. He cares for the rich and the poor. And he's telling you as one of his followers, just because they're important in the eyes of the world, don't fear. You have the Holy Spirit. He'll tell you what to say. See, what he's doing here is he's trying to get you. Paul just enumerates it. We read it today. He's trying to get you to the place where we come full circle. The place where you know and understand and live in, there is no fear in love. Because you are a loved person by God himself, through the Son, by the Spirit, you're going to be able to toss away the fear of man. So what could they do to you when this one knows everything about you? The hairs on your head. He treats you. He knows about sparrows, and you're more important than the sparrows. There's no fear in love, but perfect love, the cross of Jesus Christ, And sacrificial love and a coming to love and the love that he pours out in your hearts, that love that's perfect, that's supernatural by the Spirit. It is by the Spirit, by the way. Timothy tells us, and Acts tells us. We don't have a spirit of fear, power, and love. And that power comes by the Holy Spirit, Acts tells us. Listen, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. The bad word for fear there is phobia. You have an awesome relationship with the Lord. Here's what it is. He's done it all. You just abide in Him, John 15. You just abide. You just stay under. You make mistakes. You repent. You tell people who you make mistakes with. I repent. And you just enjoy the Lord. I don't have to become self righteous because I know who I am without Christ, and now I'm just moving on in Christ, enjoying the Lord. When I leave here today, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. You're gonna be able to eat and visit with your family, visit with your friends. Do it as you abide in the Lord, abiding in the Lord. And then, I don't know, later you might listen to some music or read a book. Do it as unto the Lord. You're just enjoying the Lord. And it's not ever a chore just to get the Bible out and to see who he, you're just abiding in Christ. Listen, because you know how wonderful He is, Isaiah 9, you just want to be with Him as a good dad, as a good father. You just enjoy the Lord. And guess what starts to fall off of you? The fear of men. Just enjoy the Lord. What is it, a program? Do I have to do my Bible study at 4 a.m. every morning? No. Do I have to memorize 17 scriptures in you know, 17 weeks? Uh-uh. No. Just enjoy the Lord through his word by the spirit. And the fear of man comes out, and one thing that you won't have that's really yucky is a self-righteous attitude. When we understand who Jesus is and who we are in the Lord, guess what it destroys? Self-righteousness. And as we pray and go out of here today, here's maybe our prayer for the week. As we abide in his words and his words abide in us, we can ask anything we want and he'll give it to us. Maybe what we say this week is, Lord, help us to be spirit-filled and authentic. Lord, keep filling us with your spirit. Be being filled, Ephesians says. Don't be under any other influence. Be being filled with the spirit. And so when we go out there, we're not just taking a Bible and whacking people over the head. They know it's anointed because we've lived it. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for this day and thanks for your word. And uh, we just pray, Lord, that you would help us to be spirit-filled, authentic Christians. And you say in your word, I think it's in Luke 9 at the end there, how do we have the Holy Spirit? Oh, really difficult. We just ask. Lord, even I can do that. So help us just to keep asking for the Holy Spirit to have more and more of us. He's already in us. Just have more of us so that when we go out, people would be struck with authentic love, stable and solid and not fearing man, but fearing you, God, in the right way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.